Let's see if I'm on. Oh, there I'm on. Look at that, guys. I think I was on all during worship. That's what I was told. So thanks, worship team, for being my backup. <laughs> yes. Can we give them a hand? Because seriously, Pastor Lance says it all the time that kids um, have the same size Jesus. They don't have a micro size Jesus. And it was evident. Uh, the Holy Spirit was present and worship was awesome. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Heather and I'm one of the assisting pastors. Our lead pastor, Pastor Lance, is away this morning at Calvary Community in Sumner. And um, our, one of our other pastors, Pastor Kari, is actually preaching this morning in Aberdeen at her dad's church. And on Thursday, Pastor Justin, our youth pastor, was away in Yakima preaching there. I just have to say I'm so honored to sit among the caliber of leaders that we have in this church and that we get to send them all over Washington State. So it's such an honor. So I get the pulpit this morning. Lucky you guys, huh? <laughs> Um, but really, it really is an honor. And as I was preparing for the word this morning, I'm just constantly reminded, like, I, I could just, I sit out here every week with you guys. I learn every week. I'm learning as I am studying. I don't have all the answers. Um, none of us have all the answers. But I feel so blessed, so honored to to be the one bringing the word this morning. So, like I said, my name's Heather, and I've been married to my husband, Dave. He's not in here. He was in here the last service um, for 20 years this year, so it's exciting. And thank you. Thank you. Um, we have two children, Malia. She just graduated high school, and our son, Makai, is going to be a sophomore. He's sitting over there right now. He'll love that I'm calling him out. Um, anyway, and life has just been an adventure. We've been here at PSCC for about 14 years so and been on staff for about three years. So that's just a little bit about me. How many of you out there like math? Show of hands. Okay, there's a couple weirdies out there. I see ya. I see ya. But no matter whether or not we love math or not, we know it's probably important to kind of call upon those elementary math skills like addition, subtraction, multiplication, those things that we have to take a step and remember back to those elementary basic math skills, especially like me when you're standing in front of a clearance rack. Hallelujah, I love to shop. And you see the like the orange sticker and then like the sign is like, oh, it's 10% off of the original price, not prices marked, or it is prices marked, and you gotta do your math. Some of you cool people maybe would pull out your iPhones, but I like it old school, okay? I used to shop with my grandma every Saturday, praise Jesus for my grandma, we would be, and she'd be like, okay, 10% off of $1, is 10 cents off, 90 cents, anyway. So, anyway, all that to say, we know that it's important sometimes to just take some time to remember. Each year, we kick off our Remember series in the month of August, and we take time and we review some of our past sermons from the past year's theme. This year's theme is Your Move that we just reviewed. Pastor Lance spends some time every year praying and asking the Lord the direction that our church is moving for the next year. This year's theme launch will be on September 17th. You won't want to miss that, so make sure you come out. But last year's theme was your move. And in this time, we've pursued this maturity by examining grace. We've pursued it by examining generosity of God, the purpose of family. And our most recent series was Selah, Finding Rest in the Middle of the Storm. Well, in November, Lance kicked off a series called Grow. And that's what I'm going to spend a little bit of time with you this morning recapping is our time called Grow. And during that, he talked about the life of Paul. And he drew from the book of Philippians. 
More specifically, he taught on whether we can either allow our circumstances to define our joy or whether we can choose joy in the midst of our circumstances. I'm not talking this morning about happiness, which is good. Happiness is a good feeling. But happiness often is temporary. It's fleeting. What I'm talking about this morning is more of a deep, abiding joy that comes from our Heavenly Father. In fact, joy is mentioned 19 times in the book of Philippians. Now, I don't know whether you know this or not, but Paul penned the book of Philippians. And while Paul wrote of joy 19 times, he sat shackled. So I guess he didn't write. My husband pointed that out yesterday. He, he gave an oration and somebody else wrote it down. But he spoke of joy 19 times while being shackled between two prison guards. He spoke of joy during a time in which all of his freedoms were stripped away. But yet he took that opportunity to encourage his church and speak of joy. When I read the word and I'm looking at stories, I can easily elevate the, the um, people in the stories in the Bible. I can kind of give them more clout than what they need, right? They actually are just regular people, tempted and tried, just as you and I are tempted and tried. And because of that, I think it gives the word even more validity, right? Because these people, the Lord wanted us to look to, to see, look, they're just normal people going through everyday mire and muck, but yet he sat in a prison cell, and he wrote of joy. Not only does he speak of joy, but in Philippians 1.11, Paul prays that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why does he pray for fruit? Because our fruit is what's on display for the world to see. People don't know if we're joyful if we're not displaying our fruit. So in summary, after listening to the four weeks of, of um, the sermon grow back in November, it really kind of came to me that this series overarching was about a joy that can be deep abiding in me that affects the quality of my life. But it's not just about that. It's about the fact that then that can affect the quality of my relationships with other people. It's about that joy is supposed to produce fruit in us, and that fruit the world can see. So the growth that Lance was talking about back in November isn't just about my own personal growth, which is necessary and good, but it's about how our growth affects our relationships, about how our growth affects the world around us. Amen? So it is our great commission, right? It's mentioned in Matthew 28, 19, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. See, this isn't a commission that's just given to missionaries. This isn't a commission that's just given to evangelists. It doesn't just say, missionaries, listen up. This is a commission that's given to each and every one of us. So some of us may have a voice to preach the gospel and has been given that, like I said, evangelists. But most of us are just doing life, right? And people are watching us as Christians doing life. So it's our great commission to go out into the world and to live our life, to have that deep, abiding joy. Sounds super easy, right? Choose joy, service is over, out you go. Lance always says, right, like, one, two, three, have joy. But we know it's not that easy. And some of the things that Lance touched on, he talked about our foundation. 
Why isn't it easy for us to take captive our thoughts, to choose joy? Well, some of us, we grew up in households where maybe our parents didn't instill that in us. They didn't tell us that we were special. They didn't tell you that you had a purpose. They didn't tell you that you had a voice, that you'd be a world changer. Maybe some of you did have that, but it came later. Maybe a coach or a teacher, maybe um, a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, spoke something in your life that wasn't true, didn't give you a great foundation. I'm talking about lies. Lies that maybe we have internalized as the truth for our life. See, as much as we're spiritually inclined, we still live in a fallen world. And our foundation, our start in life, our beginning, plays a significant role in the way that we're able to think about our situation. And as we continue on in life, experiences can shape and mold how we view ourselves in light of the world. I'd like to tell you a little story. There sits a statue in the middle of Kelly Ingram Park in Birmingham, Alabama, known really as the birthplace of civil rights. In this park, there are several statues erected that tell the story of the civil rights movement. One such sculpture is called the Foot Soldier. The Foot Soldiers were known for courageously fighting along Dr. Martin Luther King in the fight for civil rights. In this statue, there's a young, short in stature, African-American boy, his hands flung back, spread open, and a large, tall, menacing white cop, large sunglasses. He's got his hand outstretched, and a dog, very wolf-like in appearance, large teeth, lunging at the boy. This statue was based on a photograph that was snapped back in 1963, and it was published in the New York Times. Today, we would say it went viral very quickly. It ended up to be published in many, many newspapers all across the world. In fact, President Kennedy saw it, and he said he was appalled by the picture. The cop, by the name of Richard Middleton, is the man captured in the photo. He is the man who becomes one of the most iconic faces of the atrocities that occurred during the Civil Rights Movement. This moment in Richard's life becomes memorialized in the form of a statue. Years later, in fact, 1996, the young boy in the photo was interviewed. His name was Walter. It turns out that this photo didn't exactly portray an accurate depiction of those two in that moment in time. In fact, Walter wasn't a foot soldier. And that cop, actually with his arm outstretched, was grabbing the boy and he was pulling back on the leash to keep the dog away from the young boy. You see, actually, Richard did no harm to that young boy. Walter was not harmed, yet Richard becomes the face of the atrocities of the civil rights movement. Now, I'm not for one second making a statement that, those, that horrible things didn't happen during the civil rights movement because we know that they did. I'm talking about Richard and Walter and the moment that plays over and over and over again in their life that was memorialized in Kelly Ingram Park. This picture wreaked havoc, this sculpture on Richard's life. Bomb threats, hate mail, 
bricks through the window, and it wasn't right. I listened to this podcast. It's by Malcolm Gladwell, and it's called Revisionist History. So if you want to listen to the whole story, that's where you'll find it. In fact, you can even see a picture online at Revisionist History. I'm a big podcast junkie, so <laughs> if you want any recommendations on podcasts, me and Kari are your staff go-tos. We love our podcasts. So, um, When I was listening to this, though, it struck me how many of us sculpt things in our life, put up statues, create our own Kelly Ingram Park of such, of the lies that we believe in our life. How many of us memorialize the times in our life that we've listened to the enemy and that we play over and over and over again? Now, some of you might be thinking, but those aren't lies because I've really done a lot of bad things and you don't know my life. You don't know the things that I've done. Those are the truths in my life, so I'm building my statues because that's who I am. But if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, if you've asked for forgiveness, his word says in Psalms 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions. See, our ultimate sculptor is Jesus Christ. He's the one that created us from the beginning. And he doesn't make mistakes. And when he sculpts us, he sculpts us into his likeness. So it would point back to Christ. So we want to make sure that we know the truth about who we are. See, the sculptor that created the statue in the park, if you listen to the podcast, you'll find out he took a little bit of creative liberties. If you were to see the actual photograph, you would see that he made the cop taller. He made the boy shorter. He made the dog more wolf-like his fangs more sharp. He made the dog lunging. The dog wasn't lunging. And I feel like the enemy likes to do that. I feel like the enemy likes to take our, our, our sin, likes to take our decisions, and he just changes it a little bit, makes it a little bit worse. We continue to elevate that in, the mind, in our mind. But we serve a living God. We serve a good God, and we serve a God who sculpted us. He's our savior. He's the one that can create our identity. But we have to know that. So that's number one. When our first step to growth as a Christian is to know the truth. We can't allow our circumstances or how others view us or what the enemy says to us to become our reality. Now, some of you, you have been through it. You have suffered greatly. And you're thinking, she has no idea. And you're right, I don't. Every heart knows its own pain. And I would encourage you to, to get counseling, to find somebody that you can reveal those hurts, those hindrances to. Walk alongside with somebody who can share the truth the way that God sees you. Get in the word. Right? To know the truth, we have to be in the word. We have to read the truth. Amen? So it's not surprising that how we view ourselves trickles into relationships with other people. If any of you have spent a day in counseling, you know you're not going to spend your time with the counselor talking about how you can fix the other person. 
right? We're gonna talk about how we can fix us. So we know how we act affects other people. Well, what can we learn from Paul in this situation? What we do know is that his mind was set on truth. How do we know this? Because his actions reflected his mind. He suffered, but he suffered well. In Philippians 1, 12 through 14, I'm going to read that to you. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So number one is to know the truth. Number two in our growth is to suffer humbly for Christ. Back in November during our growth series, we had a special guest here, Pastor Jim Stevens, and he talked about the importance of relationships. And Pastor Lance touched on suffering. And he said, if we want to grow, we must suffer humbly for Christ. These two linked, right? Because our friends and our family, they watch us when we suffer. They see how we suffer. Revisiting Philippians, we see that much of Paul's suffering was his loudest message. I read, I felt like I could just come in here this morning and like read the book of Philippians and like do some crazy mic drop and just walk out. <laughs> the book of Philippians is packed full of joy and life. I cannot imagine being locked up between two guards, everything taken from me, and yet encouraging other believers, encouraging us how to live talking to the palace guards. He says everybody there, he is excited because he is helping to spread the good news. What a way to suffer. He said things like rejoice, and again I say rejoice. He said things like do everything without complaining or grumbling. He said things like whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, there's a lot of different ways that we can suffer. There are great big sufferings, horrible losses that we have walked through and that we are walking through currently. And then there's lighter things. There's the everyday. There's the standing in line at the grocery store when we're in a hurry. There's the being in the line at Starbucks 10 cars back when you really need some coffee, right? And I find it's those everyday things that maybe we, let our, we maybe grumble and complain. Okay, I'm just saying that I'm headed to camp this week has anybody seen the weather forecast? Guys, it's supposed to be over 100 degrees on Thursday, and I'm going to be at camp with 300 high schoolers, okay? I'm going to have to remember Paul's words. Rejoice, and I said rejoice. Do not grumble and complain. It is hard. Those are like the moments I feel like that are hard. And those are the everyday interactions that add up where people see your character. You see... Paul understood his citizenship as heavenly, but his suffering as necessary for the spark of joy in others. I'm going to say that again. He understood his citizenship as, as heavenly, but his suffering as necessary for the spark of joy in others. He understood the importance of modeling heavenly citizenship and suffering humbly. He says in Philippians 1, 23 through 26, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. 
But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. He understood his role. He understood his suffering through the lens of Christ. He kept his eye on his heavenly citizenship, even while his earthly rights were taken away. He kept his eye on Jesus. If we want to lead people to Christ, are we suffering well? Are we choosing joy? He was authentic in his suffering, too. We can see that. I'm definitely not here this morning to say, fake it till you make it. There's nothing worse than when you ask someone how they're doing. Oh, praise Jesus, I'm doing great. You know, my husband left me and I've got no money. Praise Jesus. I'm not saying that. Let's not be fake. Let's be authentic. Let's link arms and walk with one another in authenticity in our suffering. There's nothing that speaks louder to other people than when we can be authentic in what we are walking through, but yet remember our heavenly citizenship and point it back to Christ. He admitted to belonging in heaven, to belonging to the heavenly citizenship. But he also, in Philippians, he said he's torn between two desires. So see, Paul, he was authentic too. He said, I long to go and be with Christ. So we know that it was hard. But he said, I will stay because I want to spark joy for others. I will stay as long as the Lord has me on this earth to point people back to him. There's sin in this world. Because there's sin in this world, there's suffering. But if we're believers, we get to hold on to hope. Amen? So if any of you guys, any of you guys do any farming or planting out there? There's not a single hand. Oh yeah, Chad, I knew I could count on you over there. If we were in Ording, like Ed, the whole room would stand up, right? This is just city people here. I just read something recently and it really just struck me. It was, it was talking about a seed. Did you guys know that many seeds need a certain type of pressure in order to germinate? Now, I kind of know what germinate means, but I wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper. Did you know that germinate means to begin to grow and put out shoots after a period of dormancy? To begin to grow and put out shoots after a period of dormancy. I just picture like a pumpkin seed. Those are the seeds that I see the most because, guys, as much as I want to be a farmer, I'm not a farmer. So someday maybe I'll have fresh vegetables for you, but today, no. But I can picture pumpkin seeds because I carve pumpkins sometimes. <laughs> and when you dry them out, how they're just all hard and callous, you just can't imagine new life coming from those things. But a little bit of pressure, and there's new life that comes from those seeds. See, God wants to use our suffering to sanctify us. God wants to use our suffering to sanctify us. I think the problem is too many of us are allowing the enemy to use our suffering to keep us dormant. Too many of us are giving the enemy too much leeway in our lives. We're erecting sculptures of lies. We're believing we're never going to get through this suffering. 
We're never going to get through this to the other end. But God wants to put, he wants to use that little bit of pressure or a lot of pressure. Some of you are walking through a lot of pressure to create new life. We get to choose. Do we see our citizenship as heavenly? Do we see our role as vital in our relationships with others? That we too are to suffer well for others' progress and joy in the faith. See, that's our responsibility. This will affect our relationships with others significantly. Remember what I said in the beginning, the summary that I feel like that Lance was sharing about is that there's a joy that can reside deep within us, therefore will affect the quality of our life, therefore will affect the quality of our relationships, therefore can affect the world, that this joy can produce fruit, that the world can see and they can have an accurate portrayal of who Christ is, right? And people define our character by how we respond and interact with one another. So when I'm in that line at the store and it's really long, I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to be Christ in that moment. When I'm with 300 high schoolers this week and it's 150 degrees in the chapel, I have an opportunity to not grumble. I have an opportunity to love them and to point them to Jesus despite that current situation, despite our current circumstances. So if we want to grow, we have to know the truth, right? We have to tear down those statues that we've allowed to be built in our own park, in our mind. We suffer humbly, and we have to know our need for growth. When I was preparing and thinking, I was struck by like a first day on the job for the love who has sat through a five-hour orientation. Oh my goodness. But in those orientations, we get handed like our manuals. If we're in a technical job or a trade job, we have to learn the skills that it takes. I don't think that any of us walk in and we're like, hey, I got this. Don't need the orientation. Don't need any training. In fact, I'll just be your manager. Right? We have to know our need for growth. Because when we know our need for growth, we can respond with humility and with an eagerness to learn. And I would say that every one of us in this room, guys, it's our first day on the job. It doesn't matter if we've been a Christian for 20 years, if today is going to be day one as a Christian. Because let me tell you, I have spent several weeks in this book of Philippians, and I stand before you and tell you I don't know much. <laughs> because the vastness of the word of God, it's immense, and we will spend and should spend the entirety of our lives being eager to grow and learn, being eager to practice the skill set, such as suffering humbly, such as having patience and displaying the fruit of the Spirit. We get the rest of our lives to do that and beyond. Because if we see our citizenship as heavenly, we know that there is a thereafter, that we're not just here temporarily. See, if the point of all this is the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, do you know what our loudest preach is? It's our life. Our lives. Lance says sometimes, right, our lives are the only Bible sometimes that people will read. That's convicting. It's hard. And I definitely don't have it all together, and sometimes people might read me and they're not reading the Bible. 
And I'm sure that some of us are thinking, yikes, me too. Probably most of us are thinking that. But even Paul recognizes his need for growth. In Philippians 3, 13 through 14, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul recognizes he hasn't arrived. He says he wants to actively forget, but one thing I do, forgetting. He doesn't say, I forgot. He says, forgetting what lies behind. It's an active form of forget. Because we know that we don't just one day wake up and say, that's it, I'm going to forget everything, all the things that I've done, all the lies. We have to take our thoughts captive on a daily basis. We have to know the truth on a daily basis, be in relationship with Christ on a daily basis. It's not easy, but when we acknowledge the hurts of our past, when we face it head on, and we recognize our need to grow moving forward, that's where God can find us soft. That's where God can remake us. He can re-sculpt us into the way that he originally designed us to be when we come before him with humility, with an eagerness to grow. When we recognize our need for growth, we keep running the race. We keep our eyes focused on what matters. If any of you have ever been to any of our core team meetings, there's a list of values and standards that our core team um, lives by our staff here. And we review those every week. I was commiserating in the last service with Gina. Right, Gina? But I can say Dave, right? <laughs> every week we go through our values. One of our values here at PSCC is to sharpen our saw. And what that means is there are two loggers in the forest. They're cutting down trees as fast as they can go. One logger just wants to get done. He wants to get done with this plot, and he keeps cutting the trees. The other logger recognizes his sharp is getting, his saw is getting kind of dull. So he stops, he takes a moment to sharpen his saw, and he actually gets done more quickly than the original logger who just kept going. See, we need to recognize our need to sharpen our skills, to stop, to take a moment, to spend time in the word. When we focus on our need for growth, we can look at the long term. We can understand that we are in this life running a marathon, not a sprint. When we're knowing the truth, when we're suffering humbly, when we recognize our need for growth, if we choose this every day, we can affect our world. There's no doubt about that. If we believe that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God, in Philippians, he's given us an opportunity to see how we can live joyfully despite the suffering that comes. I'd like to read a passage out of Romans 5, 3 through 5. And this scripture has been um, just a life force for me, just as I've walked through my own trials and tribulations in life. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, Endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You guys, there is hope. God longs to use 
the sufferings, the trials, the situations that you are walking through currently or that you have walked through to continue to produce hope and endurance, to run this race that he calls in our life. He wants to encourage us today. He wants to give us the hope that he has given us the strength to walk every day, that he has called you in your lives to spark joy in other people, to help them find the rest that they need. See, we're called to be the salt of the earth. Do you know what salt does? It preserves and it adds a little spice. Do you add spice to people's lives? I hope so. I hope that you're speaking words that brings preservation to people. He also says that we're called to be the light. He says that we've been set on a city on a hill. Our light cannot be diminished. You know what light does? It paves the way for other people. It paves the way for ourselves. We're called to reflect the sun. Now, some of you this morning, you may be thinking, this is just a lot. This is a lot. Well, first off, I love, Lance always talks about, right? We don't have to think about our worries about tomorrow. We just have to get up today and worry about today. So I would say, if you're new to this journey with Christ, and you're thinking, um, I don't really know how to know truth because I've never spent a day reading the Bible, or I don't know God's voice. You don't know how to suffer humbly. Maybe you're just learning your need for growth. Maybe that's what brought you here this morning. But 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. When I read this, actually yesterday, because I was always refining up until the very last moment, I just felt like, Lord, thank you for leveling the playing field. You see, it says in here, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Every one of us have been given the skill set that we need to grow, to know the truth, to suffer humbly. Because God doesn't place us on this earth without equipping us, without giving us the tools that we need. But it's up to us to put on the tool belt. It's up to us to investigate, to have relationship with Jesus so that we would know what it is, which tools he's given us. We can be grateful that each and every one of us in this room were designed uniquely and differently, that we all carry different sets of tools that can complement one another. That's why relationship is so important. When we're in relationship with other people, we can move the body of Christ forward. When we try to do it on our own, we end up lonely and isolated. If you're suffering this morning, I would encourage you, first off, to get some help, to find somebody to link arms with. 
I would also encourage you, if, if, you are, if you see somebody, we can think of people in our lives who live really well, I think, sometimes, right? We all can think about that person, that their life speaks louder than any words that they ever need to say, and there's no doubt about it that their life is filled with the glory of Jesus. If you know that person and you're thinking about that person, maybe spend a little bit more time with them, right? It's good to have some mentorship in our life to link arms with people that will press us onward towards the finish line. Or maybe you are that person. Maybe you see someone who's discouraged, somebody who maybe is having a hard time focusing on Jesus, or you know that they're suffering and they need somebody. Ask the Lord this morning to give you boldness, to give you courage, to be able to go to that person and say, I will walk this out with you. I will link arms with you. You guys, Jesus calls us into relationship with him so that we can have relationship with each other, so that we can be world changers. And this message is for everybody. So don't allow the enemy this morning to come in and say, ah, but you've done this, you've done that. Tear those statues down. No more memorializing the things and the choices that you've made that maybe haven't been so great or the lies, just bold-faced lies that have been spoken over your life. Guys, there's hope in Jesus. Some of you this morning just may be thinking, I just don't know Jesus. I don't even know how to get this hope. I don't even know where to start. Jesus makes it easy. He says if we confess it with our mouth and we believe with our hearts that we shall be saved. I'd like us to just bow our heads, close our eyes. Some of you maybe have been on this journey a long time and you're tired, you've not stopped to sharpen your saw or you're suffering and you don't know how to grow. Jesus says there's hope for you. He says, allow me to create new growth in you. I'm not done with you yet. If you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ, I'd like to give you that opportunity right now this morning. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But I am going to ask you if you are interested in a relationship with Jesus Christ, in the hope giver, in your sculptor, I'd like you to raise your hand this morning. If you find yourself more on the second end of that, you've been a believer a long time, and you're tired, and you don't know how to suffer well, you're struggling, I'd like you to raise your hand. God sees you. He sees your heart. He sees your pain. And he is longing to love you. He is longing to bring you hope and peace. Father God, this morning, I ask that you would soothe each and every heart. God, each heart does know its own pain. Lord, you see the pain. God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. You are King of Kings. God, you sit on the throne. So, Lord, we just ask you, we invite you into that suffering. We invite you, Father God, Holy Spirit, be with us this morning. I thank you, God, that you are merciful and that you are sovereign. We love you, Jesus. We give you all honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.